Chapter 14 of Brigands of the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are available in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob LeDrew. Brigands of the Moon by Ray Cummings. Chapter 14. The giant Miko stood confronting me. He slid my cubby door closed behind him. He stood with his head towering close against my ceiling. His cloak was discarded. In his leather clothes and with his clanking sword ornament, his aspect carried the swagger of a brigand of old. He was bareheaded. The light from one of my tubes fell upon his grinning, leering gray face. So, Greg Haljan, you have come to your senses at last. You did not wish me to write my name on your chest? I would not have done that to Dean. He forced me. Sit back. I had been on my bunk. I sank back at the gesture of his huge, hairy arm. His forearm was bare now. The sear of a burn on it was plain to be seen. He remarked my gaze. True, you did that, Haljan, in greater New York. But I bear you no malice. I want to talk to you now. He cast about for a seat and took the little stool which stood by my desk. His hand held a small cylinder of the Martian paralyzing ray. He rested it beside him on the desk. Now we can talk. I remained silent, alert. Yet my thoughts were whirling. Anita was alive, masquerading as her brother. And with the joy of it came a shudder. Above everything, Miko must not know. A great adventure we are upon, Haljan. My thoughts came back. Miko was talking with an assumption of friendly comradeship. All is well, and we need you, as I have said before. I'm no fool. I've been aware of everything that went on aboard this ship. You, of all the officers, are the most clever at the routine mathematics. Is that so? Perhaps. You are modest. He fumbled at a pocket of his jacket and produced a scroll sheaf. I recognized it. Blackstone's figures. The calculation Blackstone made of the asteroid we had passed. I am interested in these, Miko went on. I want you to verify them. And this, he held up another scroll. This is the calculation of our present position and our course. Han claims he is a navigator. We have set the ship's gravity plates. See, like this. He handed me the scrolls. He watched me keenly as I glanced over them. Well, I said. You are sparing of words, Haljan. By the devils of the airways, I could make you talk. But I want to be friendly. I handed him back the scrolls. I stood up. I was almost within reach of his weapon, but with a sweep of his great arm, he knocked me back to my bunk. You dare. Then he smiled. Let us not come to blows. In truth, physical violence could get me nothing. I would have to try guile. And I saw now that his face was flushed and his eyes unnaturally bright. He had been drinking alkalite, not enough to befuddle him, but enough to make him triumphantly talkative. Han may not be much of a mathematician, I suggested. But there is your Sir Arthur Coniston. I managed a sarcastic grin. Is that his name? Almost. Haljan, will you verify these figures? Yes, but why? Where are we going? He laughed. You are afraid I will not tell you. Why should I? This great adventure of mine is progressing perfectly. 
a tremendous stake, Haljan. A hundred million dollars in gold leaf. There will be fabulous riches for all of us. But where are we going? To that asteroid, he said. I must get rid of these passengers. I am no murderer. With a half-dozen killings in the recent fight, this was hardly convincing. But he was obviously wholly serious. He seemed to read my thoughts. I kill only when necessary. We will land upon the asteroid, a perfect place to maroon the passengers. Is it not so? I will give them the necessities of life. They will be able to signal, and in a month or so, when we are perfectly safe and finished with our adventure, a police ship no doubt will rescue them. And then from the asteroid, I suggested, we are going to the moon, Haljan. What a clever guesser you are. Coniston and Han are calculating our course, but I have no great confidence in them, and so I want you. You have me. Yes, I have you. I would have killed you long ago. I am an impulsive fellow, but my sister restrained me. He gazed at me slyly. Moa seems strangely to like you, Haljan. Thanks, I said. I'm flattered. She still hopes I may really win you to join us, he went on. Gold leaf is a wonderful thing. There would be plenty for you in this affair. And to be rich and have the love of a woman like Moa? He paused. I was trying cautiously to gauge him, to get from him all the information I could. I said with another smile, That is premature to talk of Moa. I will help you chart your course, but this venture, as you call it, is dangerous. A police ship? There are not many, he declared. The chances of our encountering one are very slim. He grinned at me. You know that as well as I do. And we now have those code passwords. I forced Dean to tell me where we had hidden them. And we now have those code passwords. I forced Dean to tell me where he had hidden them. If we should be challenged, our password answer will relieve suspicion. The Planetara, I objected. Being overdue at Ferrokshan will cause alarm. You'll have a covey of patrol ships after you. That will be two weeks from now, he smiled. I have a ship of my own in Ferrokshan. It lies there waiting now, manned and armed. I'm hoping that with Dean's help we may be able to flash them a signal. It will join us on the moon. Fear not for the danger, Haljan. I have great interests allied with me in this thing. Plenty of money. We have planned carefully. He was idly fingering his cylinder. He gazed at me as I sat docile on my bunk. Did you think George Prince was a leader of this? A mere boy. I engaged him a year ago. His knowledge of science is valuable to us. My heart was pounding, but I strove not to show it. He went on calmly. I told you I am impulsive. Half a dozen times I've nearly killed George Prince, and he knows it. He frowned. I wish I had killed him instead of his sister. That was an error. There was a note of real concern in his voice. He added, That, that is done. Nothing can change it. George Prince is helpful to me. Your friend Dean is another. I had trouble with him, but he is docile now. I said abruptly, I don't know whether your promise means anything or not, Miko, but Prince said you would use no more torture. 
I won't. Not if you and Dean obey me. You tell Dean I've agreed to that. You say he gave you the code words he took from Johnson? Yes, there was a fool for you, that Johnson. You blame me, Haljan, for the death of Carter? You need not. Johnson offered to try and capture you, take you both alive. He killed Carter because he was angry with him. A stupid, vengeful fool. He is dead, and I'm glad of it. My mind was on Miko's plans. I ventured, This treasure on the moon? Did you say it was on the moon? Don't play the fool, he retorted. I know as much about Grantline as you do. That's very little. Perhaps. Perhaps you know more, Miko. The moon is a big place. Where, for instance, is Grantline located? I held my breath. Would he tell me that? A score of questions, vague plans, were in my mind. How skilled at mathematics were these brigands? Miko, Coniston, Han, could I fool them? If I could learn Grantline's location on the moon and keep the planetara away from it. A pretended error of charting. Time lost, and perhaps Snap could find an opportunity to signal Earth, get help. Miko answered my question as bluntly as I asked it. I don't know where Grantline is located, but we will find out. He will not suspect the Planetaro, so when we get close to the moon, we will signal and ask him. We can trick him into telling us. You think I do not know what is on your mind, Haljan? There is a secret code of signals arranged between Dean and Grantline. I have forced Dean to confess it, without torture. Prince helped me in that. He persuaded Dean not to defy me. A very persuasive fellow, George Prince. More diplomatic than I am. I give him credit for that. I strove to hold my voice calm. If I should join you, Miko, my word, if I ever gave it, you would find dependable. I would say George Prince is very valuable to us. You should rein your temper. He's half your size. You might some time, without intention, do him injury. He laughed. <laughs> Moa says so, but have no fear. I was thinking, I persisted, I'd like to have a talk with George Prince. Ah, my pounding, tumultuous heart. But I was smiling calmly, and I tried to put into my voice a shrewd note of cupidity. I really know very little about this treasure, Miko. If there were a million or two of gold leaf in it for me, perhaps there would be. Suppose you let me have a talk with Prince. I have some scientific knowledge myself about the powers of this catalyst. Prince's knowledge and mine, we might be able to come to a calculation on the value of Grantline's treasure. You don't know. You're only assuming. I paused after this glib outburst. Whatever may have been in Miko's mind, I cannot say. But abruptly he stood up. I had left my bunk, but he waved me back. Sit down. I'm not like Moa. I would not trust you just because you protested you would be loyal. He picked up his cylinder. We will talk again. He gestured to the scrolls he had left upon my desk. Work on those. I will judge you by the results. He was no fool, this brigand leader. Yes, I agreed. You want a true course to the asteroid? Yes, and by the gods I warn you I can check up on you. I said meekly, very well. But you ask Prince if he wants my calculations on Grantline's possibilities. I shot Miko a foxy look as he stood by the door. I added, you think you're clever. There is plenty you don't know. Our first night out from Earth, Grantline signals, 
Didn't it ever occur to you that I might have some figures on his treasure? It startled him. Where are they? I tapped my forehead. You don't suppose I was foolish enough to record them? You ask Prince if he wants to talk to me. A hundred million or two hundred million? It would make a big difference, Miko. I will think about it. He backed out and sealed the door upon me. But Anita did not come. I verified Han's figures, which were very nearly correct. I charted a course for the asteroid. It was almost the one which had been set. Coniston came for my results. I say, we're not so bad as navigators, are we? I think we're jolly good considering our inexperience. Not bad at all, eh? No. I did not think it wise to ask him about Prince. Are you hungry, Haljan? Yes. A steward came with a meal. The Saturn and Han stood at my door with a weapon upon me while I ate. They were taking no chances, and they were wise not to. The day passed, day and night, all the same of aspect here in the starry vault of space. But with the ship's routine, it was day, and then another time of sleep. I slept fitfully, worrying, trying to plan. Within a few hours, we would be nearing the asteroid. The time of sleep was nearly past. My chronometer marked 5 a.m. original Earth starting time. The seal of my cubby door hissed. The door slowly opened. Anita. She stood there with her cloak around her. A distance away on the shadowed deck, Coniston was loitering. Anita, I whispered it. Greg, dear. She turned and gestured to the watching brigand. I will not be long, Coniston. She came in and half-closed the door upon us, leaving it open enough so that we could make sure that Coniston did not advance. I stepped back where he could not see us. Anita! She flung herself into my opened arms. End of chapter 14 Recording by Bob LeDrew, Ottawa, Ontario See my blog at http colon slash slash translucid dot ca